Hello and welcome to another episode of Charles Weekly Part T. I'm going to start off quickly by saying that, yes, I know it's going to be an audio-only day today because I'm out and about, but before I get too far with that, let's roll the intro. Alright, so I think I need to start off by explaining the audio only. If you didn't catch uh, last episode, number uh, 2135, you'll have noticed, you'll probably remember that I mentioned towards the end um, I was going to be traveling for the Thanksgiving holiday. Now, as part of that, um, I happen to be in a location right now where I have actually great acoustics. Now, I'm not even, I'm not even going to try and lie on that. There's really great acoustics. No video um, backdrop. So, and by backdrop, I mean um, if you've watched any of the YouTube videos, I try and make sure that whatever's going on in the background is not distracting or is otherwise look, looks like it's put together. Doesn't look like I did it haphazardly. And I don't have the um, ability to do that right now. So, for that reason, I'm going to have to stick with audio only for the episode. Now, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I found a piece of architecture that caught my eye, and then as I read on about it, it really sort of explained, it really sort of felt like something I should do uh, right before Thanksgiving. Because if you think about it, Thanksgiving um, has a great theme of family. Right, and I know one of my favorite things to watch is uh, what do you call it? Happy Thanksgiving. I don't remember what piece, but the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special was always one of my favorites, and um, that's that's another thing that sort of emphasizes family. Or if you have close friends that um, if you have close enough friends, that's your that's basically your non biological family, and I think. Thanksgiving is all about that, and another thing that's all about family is the Cucina Italiana Komatsu Restaurant. So, designed by Nea Matsumoto Design, and located in Kyoto, Japan. And, once again, apologies if I'm not pronouncing the names 100% correctly, um, that sort of thing. And, unfortunately, I'm not experienced in every language to be able to accurately um, accurately have all of the names down. And even even when I do look it up ahead of time, sometimes I still manage to mess it up and don't, don't even ask me how that works. So, the owner of this restaurant um, is actually not the first person running a restaurant there. Believe it or not, his grandmother used to run a restaurant in that exact same building. So he wanted the new restaurant to feel relatively similar and feature as much of the connect the past and the present because it's it's trying to reflect the fact that it's not his grandmother's restaurant anymore, but he wants it to feel like his grand sort of like his grandmother's restaurant did, but he wants it to feel modern at the same time. Which sounds like a tall order because in 
one respect it sort of is and taking all of that and putting it into one one building is a special little task so from utilizing from keeping some of the boundary lines that were existent previously to utilizing old beams that could no longer be used structurally this is a very good representation of what ends up happening and wait this is a very good representation of keeping the keeping the restaurant going keeping the sort of tradition going which is um definitely a big thing in japanese culture but having the modern take to it. Because don't, don't get me wrong, all right? I, I will go into both modern establishments to eat, and I will go into restaurants that are um, older than me and my parents combined. And taking all of that into account, both of them can have good food. And... I, I enjoy the retro diners, but at the same time, they do have, they have that sort of retro feel. And you can make a modern establishment with an old feel, or you can make an, upgrade an old establishment to have a modern feel. And the tricky part here is getting that balance, because in order to have something that feels like a modern spot, you have to have sort of modern, er, modern components to it. If something looks like it is um, century, like it's centuries old, it's going to be hard having um, a place that looks like your grandparents, um, where your grandparents would have danced on a date night, to listen to the latest in music and have um, varying varying drinks of varying. Um, colors and um, tones right and I think that that's another thing about having a bar because you can have a bar that has a we all know what the bar sort of feeling is but there's a difference between the bar that you'd go to for a business function and the bar that you would not think about going to with your boss unless your boss is out of the world amazing. But there are, there are some places where you couldn't imagine taking the um, taking the head of your company. right? You, you just couldn't picture... If someone was wearing a suit and a tie in some of these bars, they would look way out of place and it would feel completely off. But enough on that sort of tangent. How this ended up coming to be was you taking t taking those beams that weren't structurally sound and creating the menu stand and the cutlery rest from them as well as some of the missing steps from the beams. And what that did is help restore it, but also give the new restaurant a feeling give it connections to the old restaurant and also if when looking at the floor plans there's a line of separation that there's a line that connects with the previous line of separation to denote where 
the lines were in the previous usage of the establishment. And I, I think that's all pretty amazing. So if you think about it, yes, we, ha we have all of the modern amenities that we're used to, right? And if you go to stay somewhere for a night and it doesn't have wireless um, internet access, obviously you're going to notice that fairly quickly unless you intended for it to be an off-the-grid experience, in which case you can be enjoying that, hopefully. On the other token, if you weren't expecting not to have one of those modern amenities, you're going to be disappointed if it doesn't have it. And a lot of the things we've come to take for granted today are out of the world imagination for when some of these other establishments were built. So having a mix of different lighting fixtures, like one of the original lighting fixtures was brought into the, um, I think in the center of the array to once again connect that past and that present, right? Everything that we have, the lighting fixtures of today are developed with years and years of iterations. So a 50-year-old lighting fixture, as much as we might not want to really look at it today, or as much as you wouldn't want to, if you get a brand new apartment in one of the tallest buildings in New York City, and everything looks modern, and you bring a old lighting fixture in, you're going to say this looks out of place. Yet that old lighting fixture is one of the steps to getting to that new lighting fixture. And the lighting fixture you see today is another step in the road to getting to the lighting fixture that someone will see 20 years from now. Everything is a cycle of iteration, and I think this restaurant really captures that perfectly. This present restaurant, if that previous restaurant hadn't existed, this one likely wouldn't. And this one wouldn't have had the extra meaning to it. So taking that crucial connection between the past and the present, recognizing that the present can't be present without the past and that the future is going to be dependent on the present, having that idea represented in architecture is just captured so beautifully that it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Right? Like just look looking at light fixtures, you could see looking at the light fixture, seeing the modern with the um light fixture of yesteryear. Having everything has such a it has such a modern feel yet it feels I, I don't know how best to put it. It it's Everything is just taken so carefully into account. Even the uh, coat rack is a connection to the old facility, as well as one of the vases that's on the wall. So taking the best of yesteryear and combining it with the best of today. Like colored, colored um, glass railings are, are on the second level, and you wouldn't think about that. Or that, that would have been... 
an absolute um that that would have been just the basics of someone completely someone's imagination if you thought about that a hundred years ago and yet today colored glass is definitely something that not only can get used but it does get used so the restaurant itself is not all that big the upstairs and downstairs areas see a um, total of 18 people combined and everything taken into consideration just it just brings it together it's, it looks it looks like it's big enough to house a bunch of people from the outside but from the inside, it has the um, small feel that sort of makes it feel like home, which I'm sure is what the owner's grandmother wanted it to feel like. She, she would have wanted it to be, here's a place where people can feel at home and eat a meal. And just bring, bringing that into the 21st century not only carries on traditions and legacies, but it also serves as a model for hospitality and the architecture of hospitality. So I do hope you didn't get lost in that in that whole brain explosion there. But it it's just mind blowing to think about how every all of this was put into one restaurant. And without knowing this, you could walk into this restaurant and have, have the feeling that something seems a little bit different, but you're not quite sure what, and discovering it later on. And I, th I think that just hits the cake. Or I think that just takes the cake, or it's Thanksgiving. I think that takes the pumpkin pie. Speaking of things that take the pie, Apple's whole anti-repairing mindset seems to have taken a pie straight to the face. And they went and gave themselves the pie in the face, actually. So Apple is finally taking a step in the right direction of the right-to-repair movement in the announcement of the self-service repair program so the parts and tools and manuals that are necessary for replacing select components will be made available to consumers starting in 2022 and um, early 2022 for folks in the united states and late 2022 for other countries. Um, but the selected components are displays, cameras, and batteries. Basically the things that people run into issues with the most often. Now, looking into this, there's no word on cost, which of course has me asking a few questions because... Let's face it, Apple isn't known for having the least expensive products in the planet. But the question is, 
what are the prices going to be because that makes a huge determination on how good this self-service repair program really is. Now, the reason I say this is Apple's made things available for businesses in the past to be able to repair things, but they've been under heavy, heavy non-disclosure agreements, making it very difficult for people to get replacement parts. Like, legally, under the... Um, third-party service provider program, if you, someone needs a replacement screen, you can't stock replacement screens for the latest iPhone on your shelf. You have to wait until someone breaks it to put in the repair to actually go and get the part. And Apple would have the right to inspect your business at any point in time. And if they found spare parts that you weren't supposed to have, you could get kicked out of the program, get fines, and get whole bunch of other legal ramifications. Basically enough stuff to try and deter someone from wanting to do that and subsequently giving themselves the upper hand. So there, there's the first thing that has me a little bit questionable about how this is going to turn out, but I can be, I'm hopeful nonetheless. But the word on cost is going to be a very big difference, a very important piece. Personally, I think no matter what, it should cost less for me to get the parts than it would to have the um, bring my device to the Apple Store and have them fix it. And the reason for that is um, simple. Actually, two reasons for that. First and foremost. When I get, if I were to get something done at the Apple store, I'm paying for parts and I'm paying for labor. Now, depending on how long that takes, if it's something that I have to drop the device off and come back a couple days for, then that should be a significant um, decrease in cost. Because if it's going to take, if it takes 15 minutes to do something, then there's not a lot of labor involved. But if it takes... Um, five hours to do something, then there's a lot of labor. And if I'm doing the work myself, obviously I should not be paying for the labor. So, reasonably speaking, I've had, I've had to go through purchasing spare parts, especially directly from the manufacturer, and it can be pretty darn expensive. And the question I'm posing here is, Will it be suited in such a way that's beneficial for someone wanting to repair their device? So I know personally, I have enough skills that if I needed to make certain repairs, I'd be happy to do it on my own if I wasn't paying to, for a uh, decent discount. If it's going to cost me $40 to get the Apple Store to repair my screen, or if it's going to, and if it's going to cost me $35 to repair the screen on my own, in that case, the extra $5, I'm, I'll send it to the Apple Store because for the hassle and the risk that I'm taking, it's not worthwhile. And to some degree, I think that could, that's plays into the concern that I have because the delicacy that needs to be taken and the risk is that if I do this on my own, it could fare very well, and it could um, fare very badly, 
And if it goes really badly, then I either need to purchase a new device or a new screen. And realistically thinking, I think that that means it should be as close to the um, cost of manufacturing and shipping as possible. So if, let's say it costs Apple $10 for every screen um, and then $5 to get it shipped. In that case, if they decided, okay, we're going to charge $20 for the screen, okay, that's something I, I can stand with and say covers the parts and service and it's not completely unreasonable. But that brings up the huge question of how will that fare? Because if it gets, if it gets to be too bad for, or too difficult for people to self-service repair, they might say, hey, people aren't taking advantage of this. We made it available. But if it's made more as a PR stunt than a actual genuine want to make things more repairable, then I can't say I'd be a big fan of it. And we're going to have to see how the situation unfolds. And I'm sure in a couple of months when this does come into existence, I'll have a little bit more commentary. However, if it does fare out well, I'll be very, I'll be very pleased. Because Apple, one of the things that they've brought up in every single event that they do is their commitment to the environment. And they're already doing a great job at having some of the longest-lasting devices ever. But having those devices repairable makes it one step better. Because realistically speaking, if the device still works, it shouldn't be in a landfill. There are plenty of people who would love to work with older devices, and there are plenty of people who do. I know people who are working on an iPhone 6 right now. I think I even know someone who still has an iPhone 5 that they use as a daily driver. But it's, the fact that it still works means that it, it should still be able to be used and not told, hey, toss that because just because um, you cracked the screen. And especially, that's, that's a problem I'd see if someone was having an issue on a much newer device. For an older device, the cost of replacing the screen might actually exceed the cost of the value of the device itself, in which case replacing it probably wouldn't be the worst idea. So, it's a pretty great thing, but it may or may not have flaws, and that'll be determined by how the program gets kicked into existence and when the cost list comes out. Speaking of flaws, Intel's new chips have a pretty big security flaw in them. New flaw that was discovered affects the low-level chips, so your Pentium and your Celerons are not doing are going to be affected by this, as well as some of the really low-level chips that are in automobiles. So basically the debug mode is a little bit too privileged. And also, the if you have physical access to it, 
you do have the ability to get the cryptographic keys that are stored. And I, I'm saying physical access because this isn't something that you have to worry about um, people around the world. Someone needs to actually have access to your device to take advantage of these flaws. As long as you aren't leaving your computer outside at night when the uh, moon starts rising, and you can trust the people um, around your computer, then you should be all set. All that being said, a patch will be on its way, so whenever the patch is completed and made available, once again, this is, this is one of the things where w when the patch becomes available, install it, get it set up, because th this is not one of those um, little flaws. If someone does get physical access with malicious intent, you are going to really not be having a good day. And the cryptographic keys are what protects every single thing that you have encrypted on that computer, which means any, any private encrypted data that you thought was safe wouldn't be. Although I reason, reasonably think that if you have that sort of data, you're probably not going to be on the lowest level chip that Intel has to offer. But then again, there are, I have both a computer with a really powerful processor and I have a computer that has a Pentium inside. So I have the full spectrum. So for Intel, this is a slight oof considering that they had an otherwise great release. Last but not least on the docket for today, Amazon and Visa are not getting along the best right now. So as of January 19th, 2022, Amazon will no longer be accepting United Kingdom issued Visa credit cards. And there is emphasis on the credit card piece because debit cards and credit cards from other issuers are not being affected. It is only Visa credit cards and only those issued in the United Kingdom. So Amazon is citing relatively high fees um, and doing a little bit of looking into it, is able to discover that after Brexit, Visa was no longer covered in the United Kingdom by the 0.3% cap on interchange fees. So with that cap no longer in place, Visa switched from 0.3%, which is the max, to 1.5%. And Amazon um, does all of their processing because, because they've been doing business in the United Kingdom before Brexit happened. Amazon does their credit card processing in the United in the, uh, excuse me, European Union. Which means that with Brexit, they're now getting whacked with the high interchange fee. And if you thought this situation was slightly bizarre, it's about to get a little bit more strange. Because the other thing I stumbled upon is that MasterCard supposedly did the exact 
same thing. Which leads to the big question, is what is Amazon trying to do here? Because if MasterCard and Visa did the same thing, but they're only getting mad at MasterCard, it leaves a few questions to be answered. My thought on it is that if Amazon tried to take on a otherwise pretty big industry, the majority of worldwide credit cards are, and debit cards as well, are handled between Visa and MasterCard. So I think what happened here is that Amazon actually had a decision to make because they may be getting whacked by high interchange fees, but if they go after both Visa and MasterCard at the same time and say, oh, we're not going to accept these credit cards, which is basically the primary credit card issue, or um, primary issuing companies, that could be more detrimental to their business. So I think they went and targeted whichever one would most like would be more likely to work out well for them. And once they can get one credit card issuer um, negotiated down fee-wise, then they can go after the other saying, hey, hey, Visa gave us this right now. How about you give us this right now or we stop accepting your cards? And clearly what Amazon is trying to do here is trying to push um, lower rates in one way or another because they're to not accept or one of the largest companies on the earth to say we're not going to accept visa credit cards is pretty big move and it means that there are going to be a lot of people who have to either a not get things off of amazon or b get things off of amazon with other payment methods that are a little bit more friendly to Amazon's bottom line. So th this will be fun thing to see play out. My suspicion is that Amazon and Visa are going to sit down in a uh, conference room, have some discussions, have some arguments, and eventually before January 19th probably come to some sort of agreement that makes it so that um, they don't need to stop accepting the cards as of January 19th. If this agreement doesn't happen, then you, if you happen to be in the United Kingdom and you happen to have a Visa card that was issued in the United Kingdom, you'll be able to get your holiday shopping and then next January, I hope you have another card in your wallet because if this doesn't get resolved, that's what you're going to be using for those late night impulse buys. So altogether, I think that's going to do it for today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And closing, I'd just like to once again mention Thanksgiving's coming up. So enjoy. I hope you can spend time with your friends and family. And if you can't be in person with friends and family, if there's anything COVID has taught us, it's that you can always go and um, use one of the various uh, digital meeting tools to have, have a way of bringing people together even if you can't get together. So 
don't don't spend Thanksgiving alone. And just, I'm I'm sure there's someone else who, will, or someone else, go through your contacts list. There'll be someone you can uh, Zoom with on or Zoom, Teams, FaceTime, whichever your platform of choice, to have a good conversation with. So my party for the week is enjoy the time. Have as much fun as you can. Get some rest, relaxation. Everyone, everyone's getting, um, everyone's pretty busy. So I think a little R and R would do a lot of good. And have have a blast. And come back next week for the post Thanksgiving episode, which I'm probably still going to be full from. So to make sure you don't miss that future episode, be sure to subscribe. And you can go to anchor.fm slash charlesweeklyparty where you can listen to all previous episodes of the podcast as well as interacting with voice messages. Also, you can support the podcast, which helps out a lot. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to leave a review. And for previous episodes, you can see the action on YouTube. There will be a YouTube post, but it will have it will be a way of listening to it but there will not be an active video feed for you so right now youtube this this episode is just going to be a um release that you can set playing and switch to another tab but that's going to do it for today take care have fun roll the outro